Tipping culture is out of control, according to one in three Americans who were surveyed by Bankrate earlier this year. I was always brought up that you tip when you're satisfied with the service that you've received. Absolutely. I was brought up that way, too. Oh, my God, you guys, I was brought up that way, too. That same Bankrate survey found that Gen Zers and men tip the least. Asked for comment, men replied with some frustration. It's become almost like a meme, right, where the tablet gets swiveled around and it shows 20%, 25%, 35% as the barista or whomever it is sort of looks at you with raised eyebrows to see which choice you make. Coming up on Today Explained, DoorDash launches an experiment to make us tip. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. This is Today Explained. Do you tip? Are you a tipper? I do. I do tip. I sometimes tip too much. I have a little bit of uh, insecurity around around that, and <laughs> I'm constantly seeking validation from strangers. Uh, but that's my own personal issues that I'm working through, and uh, I would uh, appreciate it if uh, you didn't, you know, judge me for it. <laughs> Andrew Hawkins, transportation editor at The Verge, has some issues. Also, has been covering an experiment that DoorDash is doing. Yeah, so I guess they've been testing this new feature for a couple months now. But basically what happens is if you go into the DoorDash app to order some uh, takeout and you attempt to proceed without tipping your delivery worker, a pop-up will show up on your phone that says, are you sure you want to do that? Because if you don't, your food might end up taking longer than you expect. And this is uh, meant to encourage more people to tip their delivery workers. Okay, I wanted to be part of the the game, the grand experiment. So I opened DoorDash on my phone a minute ago and nothing popped up. But now this makes sense because I didn't know that not tipping on DoorDash was even an option. I always just pick like 25% or whatever the highest is. And so because I, I guess you have to go and type in zero if you're if you don't want to tip. Yeah, that's correct. If you you have to actively put in zero. And, and I think that this is an actually active for all markets. It's only in specific markets. Like for example, it works here in New Jersey, but uh, we have a, I have a colleague in South Carolina who could not get it to show up for her. So it's clear that DoorDash is testing this in, in a few markets, but not all markets. But basically what happens is you have to actively put in $0 for your tip and the pop-up will show up and it says orders with no tip might take longer to get delivered. 
are you sure you want to continue? And that is meant to then incentivize the customer to then maybe rethink their zero tip decision. Okay, so there are people out there who have been doing this, who have been doing zero tip on DoorDash, obviously, because DoorDash considers it a serious enough problem to now warn people. What does DoorDash say is its motivation? Is it like you guys are being cheap? Like how blunt are they about this? I, I think it's a, it's a couple different things. They want to obviously ensure that their delivery workers feel taken care of and respected and are uh, being treated well by the customers. And so I think it's probably in response to uh, feedback that they've received from uh, this community of dashers, as they call them. The couriers are called dashers, which they all have to have some sort of stupid name. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, the feedback that they probably have received uh, at the company level is that, you know, we're getting a lot of zero tips that, you know, there are customers who are opting not to tip. And if there's anything that you can do on the product side to help encourage more tipping, we would love to see that. This is DoorDash's response to that. Now, DoorDash does say that most of its customers tip. We don't have exact numbers or any data on what most means, but DoorDash insists that the majority of its customers do tip their delivery workers. How big a part of the take-home pay is the tip? So the, the delivery workers receive 100% of their tips. The payment that they receive from the company varies. It depends on uh, how far they're traveling for the delivery, how much of the takeout order, how big the takeout order is. There's a lot of uh, variables that go into hmm. uh, what the take-home pay is on each of the order, but I think it varies from around $2 to $10 per delivery order. But then on the tip side, 100% of those tips do end up going to the dasher. So that's a very important part of their pay uh, because it is something that they rely on. This is an extremely low-paid industry. Uh, they are independent contractors. They don't receive benefits from the companies. They don't have health care or anything like that uh, because they don't, they're not technically employees. They're contractors, and they work for a lot of different services, DoorDash, but also perhaps Grubhub and Uber Eats. And so they're all about speed and consistency. And I think the tipping side of the equation is uh, something that a lot of these delivery workers really rely on. It puts customers in an interesting position because what they're basically asking for is a pre-tip, right? You're asking them to tip your delivery worker before the food even shows up. You know, in the past, we may have used the tip to reward a fast delivery or the food is hot when it arrives or the delivery worker is especially nice and does something, you know, above and beyond. And that's why a customer will decide to uh, tip a certain amount. Now the customers are being asked to tip before that transaction even takes place. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting position to put the consumers in. Yeah. So what's what's fascinating to me is that the workers, the, the door dashers themselves, are making a very interesting point. We are underpaid. You said 2 to $10 per delivery order. That is nothing. I had no idea it was that low. The company, DoorDash, is saying back to them, indeed, you are underpaid. Consumer, it's on you to make up for that. When the workers kind of make their public case, does it ever come up that perhaps DoorDash itself should be paying them more? Has there been any kind of organized activism among DoorDashers aimed at the company rather than the consumer? Uh, yes. <laughs> to, to put it simply, yes. And especially in a lot of the big cities around the country, you're seeing organized efforts 
to push for uh, minimum wage for delivery workers. Standing shoulder to shoulder, fists raising the air, New York's delivery workers have one goal, getting their companies to raise their minimum wage. To In New York City, for example, the gig economy workers, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and others scored a significant victory just this last summer when the city announced that it would support a new minimum wage for delivery workers effectively around $17.96 per hour Ooh. for food delivery workers. That's the difference between taking home a hundred bucks after a full day of work, maybe a little bit more, um, to taking home something that you can survive off. And that's something that you're seeing in a lot of uh, these big cities across the country. As these delivery workers get more organized, come together and start to lobby for themselves. Because previously, you know, it was a bit of a Wild West situation. You know, as independent contractors, they lacked a lot of organizational power to push for these types of policies. Uh, but we've seen that shift over the last few years, especially post-pandemic with the explosion of delivery uh, that the pandemic brought on. Why does it take so much agitation to get the companies to just pay more? I mean, I, I'm on DoorDash more often than I should be. It's okay. We all are. And I know I know a lot of people uh, who live the same way. Isn't DoorDash making like a crap ton of money off of me and, and the millions of others who use them far too much? Yeah, you would think so. But the delivery space is extremely thin margins. You know, they end up losing a lot of money. I think the DoorDash, uh, while it's been growing and it's been adding new customers and new markets, it posted around a $172 million net loss in the second oh. quarter of this year. Uh, which is uh, narrowing slightly from around $260 million a year before. But yeah, these companies are not profitable. They're, it's not a profitable business for them. They're hoping that through venture capital money and through other investments that eventually they'll get to a point where they can break even and perhaps put, make a profit. We're always in investment mode. I mean, DoorDash is a business whose goal is to solve many problems and certainly more problems in local economies to make all of these physical businesses successful. We have a long road ahead to do that, um, but we're going to do it in efficient ways. But they're all growing and trying to uh, compete in such a highly competitive environment that they are basically losing uh, money hand over fist at this point. This is like the millennial lifestyle subsidy, right? Everything's free. And then the companies are banking on in five years, only one of them is left and then they can charge us more, right? There has to be a long term play here, I would think. Because you can't just go on losing $172 million a quarter. I mean, you see it in a lot of different areas as well. You see it in the ride hail space yeah. between Uber yeah. and Lyft, how, how much more expensive it is to take a car places uh, these days than it used to be. It used to be that you could uh, very cheaply ride anywhere you wanted to go in a big city. And now um, those same rides are exponentially more expensive as those companies are putting more of a premium on becoming uh, profitable and uh, cutting down on their losses. Uh, but as you see sort of Uber emerging above Lyft and, and really sort of taking uh, the vast majority of the customers in that space, I think that it's still up for grabs in delivery. Uber Eats, obviously, and DoorDash and Grubhub and all of them are fighting tooth and nail for as much market share as they possibly can. But I think a lot of folks on the labor side will say, you know, it's in these types of battles that the the delivery workers end up really getting a short shrift. And I think that's why this tipping feature is really interesting because it shows that DoorDash is trying to perhaps encourage more delivery workers because with more workers, they can meet more demand and therefore serve more customers. And they can show that their workers that they're actually pushing for policies that will benefit them in, in the long run. 
Wow. Okay. So is it working? Is the new DoorDash prompt getting people to tip better? I, I think that's a, that's a great question. We've only just noticed it ourselves, so it's not clear as to whether or not it's having a meaningful effect on, uh, on how people tip. I will say there's been a lot of research that shows that there's a lot of uh, tip fatigue or tipflation, I've heard it described as well, where there are just more ways in which customers and people who buy goods and services are being asked to tip. And I think a lot of people would prefer the companies to just pay their workers better rather than try to, as you said, bring the customer in on that and have the customer sort of subsidize the lack of decent pay for these workers for a living wage, honestly. And, you know, that's probably a, a bit too philosophical for this conversation, but it is uh, something that I think a lot of people are concerned about. That was Andrew Hawkins of The Verge. Andrew sometimes tips too much. Andrew also sometimes works too hard, and he's a little bit too much of a perfectionist. Coming up, perhaps the nation's leading expert on tipping explains why we're being asked to tip so much these days in so many different venues and why we keep clicking yes and why we don't have to. Support for the show today comes from Shopify. You know the concept of an elevator pitch where you like, you know, sell your idea for your product or your business in the time it would take to ride an elevator from the ground floor to the eighth floor or whatever. But what if you're so good at the elevator pitch that people want to buy your product on that same elevator ride? Are you ready for that? Shopify can help. Shopify is the global commerce platform flexible enough to help your business sell at every stage of growth as you go up that elevator. No matter what you're making, Shopify can help you turn browsers into buyers and sell your products everywhere, even in an elevator at their service from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system. Shopify offers the flexibility to support your operation. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com explained. Go to shopify.com explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com explained. Support for the show already comes from Delete Me. Your personal information is online. So is mine. I don't think I'm breaking any news by saying that, but you might be surprised to know just how much of your information is available not only for people to see, but to sell as well. And that's where Delete Me comes in. Delete Me wants to help you keep things such as your name, number, home address, and other private information out of the hands of data brokers. I've never personally kept my information out of the hands of data brokers, but perhaps Vox's business team's Claire White has. Removing the data that Delete Me found was super easy because I didn't have to do anything. They already removed my information across sites that they deemed as unsafe. I truly did not have to lift a finger. You can take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me Now at a special discount for our listeners. You can get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeleteme.com slash today and use the promo code today at checkout. Again, you can get 20% off by going to joindeleteme.com slash today and enter the code today at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash today. The code is today. 
My name is William Michael Lynn. I'm a professor of services marketing at the Cornell Hotel School. Okay, perfect. And is it correct to say that you are an expert in tipping? Yeah, I don't want to be immodest, but I've published more on the topic than anybody else by a large margin. Professor Lynn got interested in how we tip and why we tip when he suddenly found himself not the tipper, but the tippy. My father was audited by the IRS and ended up owing him a lot of money and said that his contributions to my college education were going to be smaller than he expected. So I found myself needing money. And when I went to look for work, I found that tipped occupations provided more income per hour worked than anything else I was qualified to do. So it was natural to go into those service occupations. I became interested in it as a topic of research when I went to grad school. I had a job as a bartender, which technically was violating the conditions of a research assistantship I had. I asked my advisor if he'd let me keep the job, and he said, sure, as long as you think of some research to do in that context. Now, I never did do research at the particular bar I was working in at the time, but it did get me thinking about tipping as a topic. And I've been studying it for 40 years since then. So how does one become the leading expert? How does one study tipping? What is, what is there to explore here? Oh, wow, there are so many topics to explore. I began by simply asking, why do people tip? And what are the factors that influence their decisions about how much to tip? Mm. But then I got into, why do tipping norms vary across countries the way they do? And then I went into, what are the effects of different tipping policies? What are its effects on servers? Does it actually motivate servers to provide better service? What are the effects on consumers? There's just a whole range of different research questions that it's possible to ask about it. And even though I've been studying this for 40 years, there's a lot that we still don't know. There's only so much one person can do, right? Mm. But I'm doing my best. Why do people tip? Multiple reasons. Uh, To reward good service. To help make up for low wages to get better service in the future. Hmm. Most importantly, it's for social approval. Let's talk about what the future looks like. You must be seeing, I would think, that we're being asked to tip in a lot of places that we didn't used to be. There are places where I am doing all the work, the customer is doing all the work, and then the screen flips around and, and it asks for a tip. Is it actually becoming more common that we're asked to tip in places that we didn't used to be? Or am I crazy? If you're crazy, I am too. (laughs) Because I'm seeing the same thing. I don't know of any systematic study that documents how much more prevalent tipping requests are today than five years ago. But anecdotally, my own experiences tell me, yeah, I'm being asked for tips a lot more frequently and in places that I wouldn't have ordinarily expected it. The other day, I went to what was essentially a convenience store. I pulled out from their refrigerator a Mountain Dew, went to pay for it, and they asked me for a tip. What's more, that tips, those tips started at 20%. Did you tip? No. 
<laughs> did you feel guilty about not tipping? That's the real question. Yeah, no, I didn't feel guilty at all. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. If it's if I've done all of the work, I mean, I hear people get very stressed about this. You know, they flip the screen, but they haven't done anything. What am I supposed to do? And people really get in their feelings. And it seems to me like one possible solution is to not tip and just have very few feelings about it. You're okay. You you did the work. Yes, but I told you earlier that social approval was the main motivation for tipping. Mm. And mm. that person looking at you wants a tip. And it's hard to say no to them face to face. The Why am I able to do it? In part, it's because I know that just because they're asking for a tip doesn't mean that other customers are giving it. Most restaurants today will ask you for a tip when you go for carryout. But I know from surveys that only about 30% of consumers leave a tip in that context. If two-thirds of the people are not tipping, I won't be alone in saying no. And that service provider can't be too upset with me. Yeah, It, it makes me feel a little less social pressure than I think the typical consumer feels. What's driving this change? You're saying you see a change. You're the expert. I think most of us, based on the conversations we had with our team this week, I think most of us are seeing this. But what's behind it? So many different things. I wish it was something simple. Let's start with during COVID, people started tipping larger amounts in service context where they didn't usually. She um, ended up tipping us $2,020. And I think she has a little good sense of humor writing 2020 as well. It's probably the only positive 2020 that we'll have this entire year. So I don't tip for restaurant carryout, but during COVID, I would. Hmm. Why? As a way of helping the business and, you know, pay its employees as a way of compensating people for the risk associated with working during COVID. And I wasn't alone. We've got lots of data showing that Basically, people became more generous in their tipping during COVID. That may have taught businesses that consumers are willing to tip in contexts that they hadn't originally thought they would be. Some of it has to do with the new technologies. Think about it. We've had counter service tipping for a long time, but it was in the form of a tip jar. Yes, Yes. But the nice thing about a tip jar from a consumer perspective is you can easily see what other people are doing, not just the ones immediately in front of you, but all the other customers prior to you during the day. Because the tip jar is going to be empty, full, half full. You can see how much people are tipping. But with the new technology, the screens don't tell you what other customers have done. And so you're hit with this request and you look at it and think, I'm feeling pressure to tip. Other people did no doubt feel the same pressure and they're probably succumbing. They're probably tipping. Given that assumption, they feel more pressure to tip than ever before. What that means is that the screens get people to tip in a way that the tip jars didn't. And that motivates the business to keep making the request to ask for the tip. But some of it has to do with economics. Today, we have full employment. We also have inflation. As a business, I want to get employees. I'm competing with other people. The way to do that is to pay my employees more. But to pay them more, I have to raise prices. 
and raising prices during times of inflation when other prices are already high and consumers are complaining is problematic. So tipping is a way of getting extra revenue to pay your employees to help attract employees in this time of full employment. And at the same time, only asking for that money from those customers who can afford to give it and are willing to give it. Do you think that this is the new normal, that the screen flips around and you're expected to leave a tip? Or at some point, do enough people start to, as we are now, get tired of this and the business says, okay, just like the tip jar, it's not working anymore. It's not worth it. That's a good question, and I don't know the answer. Surveys are telling us that about 60% of consumers today think it's gotten out of hand and they're unhappy uh, with tipping culture in the U.S. That's much higher than it used to be. But whether it's going to affect their behavior enough to change businesses, practices, I think it's too early to tell. What would you advise our listeners who have strong feelings about tipping. Pro, con, we're being asked to do it too much. What do you think people should do? I suppose follow their own hearts. It, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a social scientist. I'm not an etiquette expert. I do want to remind people that tipping's a voluntary activity. Tipping is not legally required. When someone asks you for a tip, they clearly want it. And failure to give it to them is going to make them unhappy. But just because they're asking for a tip does not mean that other people are giving it. In fact, most of these new contexts where people are asking for tips that are not traditionally tipped services, roughly a third of people are are giving the tip and two-thirds are not. So if you decide not to tip in that circumstance, just know that you're not alone. That in fact, you would be among the majority. And perhaps that'll make you feel less social pressure. That was William Michael Lynn of Cornell's Hotel School. Today's episode was produced by Amanda Llewellyn and edited by Matthew Collette. It was engineered by David Herman and fact-checked by Laura Bullard. I'm Noelle King. It's Today Explained.